Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Praise God. Appreciate that music. Hallelujah. It's a reason they call that classic rock. Hallelujah. It's an honor to be here and to uh, preach uh, on a night like tonight, and let's believe God. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 32. We can go to the Word of God. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 32. There's a man in the Perth church that was relating a story to me that uh, one day him and his seven-year-old son were out and about. And he needed to just run into a shop for a, for a minute, and he told his son, just, you know, stay in the car here. I'll be right back. It was safe. You know, it's not like 115 degrees in Phoenix, and the kid's going to die in the car. It was just a real quick thing, and he, he did so, and he gets back in the car and drove off, and uh, unexpectedly, his son started one of those conversations. He said, Dad... What's sex? I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments, but for me, it's like time stops, and I go into this thought vacuum. Where did that come from? You know, and and my first tactic is is to stall and to pretend you didn't hear him and, and, you know, say, what? And you're just stalling, you know, and so he repeats it. What's sex? You know, so back to the thought vacuum. He's thinking, he looks at the radio, what, what in the heck's he been listening to while I was in the store? <laughs> or he's looking at him, you know, could something have happened to him? What, you know, who's he been hanging out with? Who, who put this into his head? And so, you know, he employs the next wise tactic, and that is to answer the question with another question. He said, son, where did you hear that word? And he was surprised when he said, you. You just said it. Me? What are you talking about? When did I say that? He said, Dad, when you got out of the car, you said, wait here, I'll be back in a few secs. Let's go get an ice cream, son. They had a great day. It was a great day. profound truth in that lesson, and that is that as bad as a situation may appear at any given moment, if you will wait it out in righteousness, God can turn it around for you. Hallelujah. I want to look at some dynamics in our text. It has to do with Jeremiah the prophet. He's in prison for speaking what God told him to speak. Israel is about to be conquered for 70 years. 
And right in the context of this, Jeremiah has an opportunity to buy some real estate. And as bizarre as this may sound in the real estate business, there's a term for this type of environment. When the supply is greater than the demand, it's called a buyer's market. And that's what I've called my sermon, a buyer's market. Jeremiah 32, let's read verse 1 and 2. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which, which was in the king of Judah's house. Down to verse 6. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Please buy my field, which is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. And I knew that this was of the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. Let's go down to verse 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. I want to look first of all at Jeremiah's challenge. The difficulty we have many times as ministers is we put our ministry into a context of God's overall purpose or we fail to put our ministry into what God is doing in the overall purpose in the earth. In other words, naturally as, as, as pastors or even as congregations and disciples, we want to be successful, we want to be fruitful. We want to impact our generation, and we can make a mistake by having an improper standard for determining this. If, if you're any kind of, of student of history, you've read about the great revivals. How many of you have read the revivals and your heart stirred? I, I, I can remember reading about Jonathan Edwards and his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I was reading an account uh, that said that this, this revival that took place literally turned the nation and prepared uh, for the war that was upcoming, that the United States or the colonies and the, the, the beginning of this nation had fallen into debauchery. And that revival turned this nation and prepared it for its infancy. I grew up in Rochester, New York, and I, uh, I, I came to learn that Charles Finney had some of his most powerful revivals in Rochester, New York. I was out in front of the church, and they have a monument uh, there where it, it shows the dates of two revivals that he did that lasted for two to three months, and literally hundreds of thousands of people were saved and changed the city. Uh, one of my favorite revivals to read about is Billy Sunday. And his crusades were so impactful 
that, uh, that literally they, they trace prohibition to this man's ministry, that in the wake of his revivals, temperance societies would rise up till a nation amended the Constitution to ban alcohol. And as much as that is mocked by the liberals today, uh, they say that alcohol has never returned to pre- prohibition uh, uh, usage in the United States. It's been stigmatized. But I don't know if you've ever wondered, what would it have been like to be called to preach during the Civil War? Or what would it have been like to to minister or be a pastor in Germany during the rise of Hitler? And many have read about men that have preached during that time and the struggles in their mind. Consider our text, Jeremiah had a very difficult responsibility. He was called to prophesy and preside over a period of God's judgment. This was a time of turmoil. It was a time of discipline. And think about what God told Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, it's over. It doesn't matter what the people do now. It doesn't matter what they pray. It doesn't matter if they repent. Uh, I'm going to destroy this nation for 70 years. Israel and Jerusalem are going down. And Jeremiah, your job is to tell the king and the people that for me. In verse 3 through 5, says, For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord? Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Now, can you, what what would that be like? This is your ministry. This is your calling. You are going to preside over the judgment of your nation. That's tough duty. And at the time of our text, the siege had already begun. The city was surrounded The land all around the city had already been taken. And Jeremiah's message to the people was, you need to surrender. Jeremiah 21.9 says, Whoever stays in the city will die either in battle or by starvation or disease. But whoever goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who have surrounded the city will live. One translation says, you'll lose everything but not your life. God speaking, saying, I am determined to see this city destroyed. I am angry with this place. And even encourages them. Look, just go, surrender, build a house, go to Babylon, go to wherever they're going to take you, plant your garden, it'll be okay. What would that be like? God forbid, God forbid. But what would it be like if all of a sudden our nation was surrounded by Muslims And God gave you a sermon, and that is to tell everybody to just surrender. Go to Saudi Arabia, get a camel, get a nice tent, buy a sand dune, ride this out, everything will be fine. And God's view in our text, and and again, I'm not not saying this is going to happen in America, God forbid, but at this moment in history, this was Jeremiah's ministry. And God's view was, someone has to do this. And this did not mean his ministry was a failure. As long as I live in this generation, I'm going to believe God for an awakening. As long as I'm here, I'm going to believe God. But in the meantime, people in our churches have to process what's happening. 
They have to process the fact that we've prayed and fasted and the socialists still got in. The Libs stole enough elections to have a majority in the Senate and there's people that think God lost the election. Well, guess what? The Republicans are corrupt too. And that's the problem. They're all committing adultery and taking earmarks and sometimes God lets things ride and there's always hope, but I'm telling you there are times that as a preacher and a man of God, you have got to be able to process and function either way. You know, the other, the other thing that's got to be taken into account in the last days and all that we're seeing in the earth, you know, world government and, and, and all the Antichrist, you know, for 30 years we've been showing the prophecy movies. For 30 years we've been saying, you know, uh, the big three, you know, how many of you remember Years of the Beast and Pug, you know? This is going to go over hard, you know. <laughs> then apocalypse, and, 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 and so, although it's unnerving, it's frustrating, somebody has to prophesy during this period. We are in the last days. I don't think we're ever going to hear God saying to join them or sign up for Obamacare. But he is saying, you need to preach, you need to hold fast, uh, and just like the sermon we heard on the gifts, uh, if God anoints a new movement and revival breaks out, praise God, but if Nebuchadnezzar keeps marching forward, praise God also. Because this was Jeremiah's challenge, and that was he has to be able to minister in a difficult period. Now I want to look secondly at troubled real estate. Now, we've all been exposed to or heard about, you know, real estate scams, you know. I've heard about people buying the Brooklyn Bridge, you know, from someone who didn't own the Brooklyn Bridge or, you know, swampland in Florida. That was the old scam when I was growing up that, uh, you know, somebody sees a picture on a brochure and buys some land without visiting it. You know, uh, I, you know, I remember reading some time ago, there's actually web pages where you can go and buy uh, acreage on the moon and Mars. Some of you are going, oh, really? <laughs> and they'll, they'll, they'll even print you out a title deed and a bill of rights, and you can buy a lunar city if you want, if you're really ambitious. And so there's always the scams. On the other hand, you know, uh, many of us have also missed real opportunities. How many of you have ever looked back and thought, you know what, if I had a bot right there, you know, when me and my wife were pioneering in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, my wife saw an advertisement somehow or we got something in the mail or we got a call and somebody, a real estate agency was selling some plots of ground in a neighboring area and they said if you come in and listen to the sales pitch all you gotta do is listen to the sales pitch you get one free night in a nice hotel and a nice set of dinnerware and we thought hey let's do that <laughs> we learned later that, that our name was on the list by accident because we didn't have a thin dime to our name it was a mistake but we're thinking this is free so we make an appointment and we're thinking this is just a good time to get away you know we can't afford a hotel room and 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 we get a new set of plates you know so <laughs> so we thought we're just you know we're just gonna go and you know we're just gonna you know, do this and so I thought I'd just cut this short in righteousness you know I got in the car with the, the salesman I said can I just be honest with you 
we're not buying today. We, we don't have any money. We don't even know why you called us. <laughs> we're just here for the room and the plates. And so if you, you know, we can do this if you want, or we could just, you know, uh, give us the room and the plates and we'll be done. It's whatever, however you want to do this. So, you know, he, he appreciated my candor. He said, no, look, I got to take you around, but that's no problem. So he gave me the abbreviated version. You know, we drove around. And he said, you know, you, you really ought to think about, and I said, man, uh, there, there's, there's nothing here. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this and he was fine. He was nice about it. it was, you know, actually pretty cheap. We got our plates. We got our room. We felt like we won. Actually, we thought, oh, wow. Man, did we, did we game him this time, you know. <laughs> Years later, Laughlin, Nevada became one of the hottest growing areas in the United States. And if I had a brain, <laughs> I would have found some financing somewhere. Because we would have been doing a lot better tonight had we done so. <laughs> Consider the scenario in our text. Here is a siege. Here's a city. It's, it's, this siege lasted 18 months, and it's almost over. The enemy has surrounded Jerusalem. This is the, the last bulwark of resistance now. People are hungry. People are diseased. This is a losing proposition. Jeremiah has been preaching this difficult message, which you, you have to admit would not only be difficult to deliver, but de difficult to hear. They actually accuse him of treason. He's in prison. He's just waiting for this to come down. And he gets a visit from his cousin. Look at verse 8. Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, said, please buy my field, which is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours. Buy it for yourself. You talk about adding insult to injury. I wonder if this guy ever just visited him to say hi. I mean, here, you know, he's in prison. Along comes, you know, cuz. Hey, Jeremiah, how you doing? Yeah, good. You all right? Yeah, good. Hey, listen, uh, remember when we were hanging out a few Thanksgivings ago? Remember when you, you told me if I ever needed to sell that little piece of property over there, Anna thought to give you a call? Well, actually, that's, that's why I'm here. I need to sell it. I was just wondering if you'd do the right thing and help a brother out here. Now, now picture this. The Babylonians have already conquered this land. Jeremiah knows that this is going to go down for 70 years. Unless he lives to be 120 years old, he's not going to be around for this property. Not only that, but according to the law, is all property automatically reverts back to its original owner every seven years. And... What Hanamel was asking him to do was almost a social obligation. He's putting him on the spot. He's applying social pressure to him to buy this land that the enemy is already on. I'm, I'm trying to think, how would I process that? 
you know. Hannibal, come here. Reach through the bars, you know. Hey, cuz. Do you see anything written on my forehead right here? Is there anything written up there? No? I mean, you don't see moron written right there? No, I didn't think so. Thanks for stopping by, cuz. You want me to buy your land? What on earth? And here's, here's the interesting part. Verse 7. God tells him, I want you to buy this. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalem, your uncle, will come to you saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord. So then I knew. God said, you need to do this. You want me to buy this land? Verse 9 and 10. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and waited out to him the money, 17 shekels of This is his personal money. Whatever he had left, whatever, whatever possessions, whatever scraps of dignity Jeremiah had left in his little prison cell, and I signed the deed and sealed it and took witness and weighed the money on the scales. This was an official transaction. You look at verse 12 and 13. They're actually doing a closing. You know, they bring in the title company right outside the bars, you know. There's the real estate agent. There's the contract. He's, he's, this is official. People are watching this. He's buying some property. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to picture this. I, I wonder if they're done, if the real estate agent gave Jeremiah a little quill set, you know. You know, with the name on there, you know. Jeremiah, you know, Lone Sharks Incorporated. Congratulations, Jeremiah. Well done. Good, good move. You know what they say, location, location, location. Congratulations. And then here's the punchline, verse 15. God says, for thus says the Lord, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land that's the message God said Jeremiah by faith I want you to make a personal investment in some troubled real estate because this is going to be a tremendous reference point to a generation under judgment Because God said, I'll redeem the troubled real estate. And I want you to think about this. If after all Jeremiah had sent and done, if he refused this step, his ministry would have been an utter failure. Everything that he had been saying, everything that he had been doing, every sermon he preached, stood or fall right here. I want you to take your money. I want you to sacrifice personally for some real estate 
that's already in the hands of the enemy. Occupied territory. And you know what? I believe that's the call in our generation. We may not be asked by God to surrender in a military way, but I can tell you this. If your sermons are going to mean anything, if your stands are going to mean anything, if your testimony is going to mean anything in this generation, then you're going to have to personally sacrifice for some troubled real estate. Because that's what puts the turbo charge behind what we do. That's what tells people watching, this is real. That's what drove the message home to that generation. As he was saying these things, he was accused of treason. He, they said he's out of his mind. But when he publicly purchased that field that was already in the hands of the Babylonians, he was saying, I'm living what I believe because the God of this book is going to turn this around. He's going to redeem this. And had he not done that, his ministry would have been a failure. Can I tell you, this is what God's saying tonight. I'm bigger than the economy. I'm bigger than the political parties. I am bigger than the earthly economics. I am busy redeeming people, and I need you to buy into this. And if you're going to be effective, you're going to have to buy into this. The term that they use for this in economics, it's called counterintuitive. That's a nice way of saying it looks like madness. You buy into the teeth of a downturn. You buy into the teeth of distress. It's a very aggressive form of investing. And those who God calls to prophesy, he says this will be a statement. And if you fail right here, regardless of what you've said, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are, it's an empty boast. It's an empty boast. God said, I want you to buy this. That's the call this week. Who's going to answer the call of God? And buy into some troubled real estate. You know, the whole world lies in darkness, the Bible says. The whole world is occupied territory. And God says, if you're going to succeed, then you are personally going to have to sacrifice for this because that's what gives it, gives it credence. You know, that's what Pastor Mitchell did last year. But I was thinking about, you know, that's not the first time he did it. I remember the first time he did it, I was saved about a year. And he left the Prescott Church and went to Perth, West Australia and, and raised a lot of eyebrows. I was too young in the Lord to realize the ramifications of it at the time. Came back and went again. And, and, and later I learned the only reason he came back is because the guys he left in charge uh, were, were, were missteering the ship. Would have loved to stay there. And that's the example that we have. And that's why God has been able to get a hold of my heart and challenge me 
and challenge you. This is what me and my wife and my daughter Jennifer are doing. We're buying into this again. You know, the day that we landed in Perth was my 50th birthday. 50 years old, landing on the runway, extreme jet lag. <laughs> Disorientation. Knowing full well that our first grandchild would be born within three months. But I learned years ago not to set my will. I learned years ago that I need to let God speak to me and say, I need you to buy into this again. There's a cost to this. And, and I, we wouldn't hide that from you. But it's the willingness to pay the price that puts the power behind what we say. You know, when we went to Kenya, things were different. It was pre-9-11. We were able to load our own container. We had three kids. Got it all in there, man. You know, just a bunch of junk anyway. You know, just take it to Kenya. <laughs> Seriously, you know. But ever since 9-11 now, they want professionals to load your container. And you know what that means. That means the moving company hires Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> so here we are. We're a few years down the road, you know, and they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. They're, 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 they didn't get it all in. They loaded rags and left behind my desk. I'm serious. We, we, we are marveling at this. I, you know, the, the, it's all full. It's all full. You know, so I'm throwing stuff overboard. I'm calling people. Do you want this? You know, come and get this. Oh, my goodness. You know, they actually had to cart up something else and send it over, you know. And so, you know, okay, let's just, we're going to, we, we finally arrive and it, it, it's, it's totally violated, man. I mean, <laughs> You know, here's, here's this furniture that my wife set aside for and purchased for her little room, you know, and, and, uh, and we're watching it come in. It's totally trashed, man. <laughs> I'm marveling, you know, as they, this may sound trite to you, and, and I'm not trying to be trite, but, but you, you know, you got to process life, man. You know, how do you, how do you hurt a gas-powered weed whip? I mean, you, you can't hurt one of those things. I am standing there, <laughs> and they brought it off in three pieces. I'm serious. I'm going, what powerful cutting-edge incompetence is this? Unbelievable. 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 Okay. Yeah, whatever. It's a weed whip. I'll buy another one. But what in the world? And, 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 I, and I got a new twist on, on Hebrews 10.34. You took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. <laughs> Knowing that you have in heaven a better and more enduring substance. <laughs> oh, Lordy. What else is there to do? Seriously, man. I, you know, my wife, the trooper, God lover. You know, we have to process this. You know, you mourn a little bit, and then you go buy another weed whip. <laughs> and you know what? I knew we were past it when I heard her say, oh, well, 
I guess that's the price of doing business. And I knew right there, we're done. We're just going to move on. Wonder Woman the second. I love you. We remind ourselves there are harder things that God has asked people to do. I remember reading about Robert Moffat and his wife, his bride, honeymoon on an ox cart. Had some children, went back to Great Britain, dropped their children off in England and went back to Africa for 25 years and never saw them again. God says, you're going to have to buy into this. Are you ready to buy into this? Because that's the only thing that's going to make this work. The Bible says, go into all the world. What piece of troubled real estate is God dealing with you about? I want to close real quickly with the tremendous return. Truth is, there are fortunes to be made and redeeming troubled real estate. History is full of great examples. The Louisiana Purchase is considered one of the greatest real estate purchases in history. The Jefferson administration was willing uh, to pay up to $10 million for just the area that's now New Orleans and a bit of land east of the Mississippi. Napoleon asked President Jefferson, what would you pay for the whole territory? They settled on $15 million for 828,000 acres. It doubled the size of the United States, got rid of a foreign power on its western flank, gave them control of the Mississippi, and Napoleon said upon completion of this agreement, this territory affirms forever the power of the United States. I have given England a maritime rival who sooner or later will humble her. At that price... They paid $18 an acre. Manhattan, New York City, Peter Minuet purchased Manhattan for $24. And most of those were trinkets that he gave to the Native Americans. Oh, the poor indigenous peoples being taken advantage of. No, according to this history that I read today, this is hilarious. The Native American sellers were happy with the price as they didn't even live there. (laughs) They sold the Brooklyn Bridge, man. It says they didn't even live there. In reality, these Native Americans sold land that the other tribes used as hunting ground. Brilliant. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Donald Trump became a millionaire centuries later, redeeming troubled areas of New York City. In the world of finance, when property is invested in, it's, for this, it's called speculation. When you buy distressed property with a mind to improve it, it's called a fixer-upper. And when you have more opportunities to buy than buyers willing to pay, it's called a buyer's market. That's what we got tonight. We got a buyer's market tonight.
There are all kinds of deals out there. There are all kinds of opportunities, Pastor. There are all kinds of of Louisiana Purchase type deals and Manhattan Island type deals out there. For the Jeremiah's that are willing to say, I'm going to buy into this. Destiny decisions. And the greatest opportunities in life are not in the natural. They're in the kingdom of God. You make a great mistake in life if you're waiting for the big upgrade. If you pass on the troubled real estate, the best move I ever made in my ministry was when I left the comfort zone and obeyed God. The first time I did it, I was 37 years old. And I'm not talking about answering the call to preach. I went to to Las Vegas when I was 24 years old. My wife was eight months pregnant when we left Prescott and went to Las Vegas. And I'm talking about really leaving the comfort zone. The first time when I went to Kenya at 37, and then the second time going to Perth. The last three assignments for me have been fixer-uppers. Troubled real estate. Kenya. Troubled real estate. And it wasn't because of the men that were there. The men that were there were good, and the men that was there before me was good. But something was off. The foundations were off. And I want to caution you if, you, if you follow somebody else in ministry, don't despise what's there. It may still be troubled real estate, but don't despise what there. Kenya was, was a nation that had much labor invested in it, but it was troubled real estate. And I want to tell you, God did a miracle. When we decided to unlock from our comfort zone and believe God to do what we do in that nation, it was like the turbocharge. Gallup was troubled real estate. The week before I arrived, the former pastor had manipulated that congregation to leave the fellowship. And I was there seven days later. I had couples coming up to me after the first year saying, I want you to forgive me because I hated you when you first came here. But I want to tell you, God did a miracle in Gallup. And there's a powerful group of people there that have a heart to reach the world for Jesus Christ. I can remember Mark Olson was in Tempe, another troubled real estate. And his, he was 18 months ahead in the process. And there was times I would be losing my mind and I would call Mark and he would talk me off the ledge. <laughs> He'd say, go back in the window, okay. He'd say, uncock the revolver, okay. Put it in the drawer, okay. It's going to be okay. And you know what? He's right. God's helped the Tempe church, powerful church. You know, Perth is a miracle. Perth is an absolute miracle. There's things that need to be rearranged, but they're hungry. And it may take time, but I want to tell you that there's treasure. Amen. I brought some treasure. Amen. Two couples from Australia. The treasure. Hallelujah. Who can forget that in reality, Prescott in 1970 was a fixer-upper. A broken church, and they gave it to Wayman Old Mitchell because nobody else would take it. But look at what God's done. What are you going to do? What are you going to do this week? What are you going to do when God lays on your heart a fixer-upper? 
And I don't mean just a, a broken church, but how about another city? How about another nation that's, that's occupied by the pagan enemy? How about a, an opportunity that means unlocking from the comfort zone and, 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 and let your stuff get broken, man? Whatever. Whatever. Stuff. The finances. Who cares, man? Whatever. Who cares about the portfolio, man? The port it's all going down anyway, man. You can't just keep printing money. It's a joke. But you know, you can have in your portfolio the nations of the world. You can have investment tonight as, 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 as there'll be an offering taken. You want in on this? You want a piece of this? You need to buy into this. I did a Google search on real estate just outside of the wall of Jerusalem. Thousands of years later, there's a piece of property, Maya Sharon, for sale. It means a hundredfold return. I don't know if this is the same piece of property that Jeremiah bought. Just imagine for a minute it is. It's just right outside the wall. It's selling for $2.5 million today. Think about that. Jeremiah was willing to put this in his portfolio by faith. And I'll pay a price. <coughs> Heard that report from John McCarthy. You know, when he left Kenya, he did a powerful work in Kenya. Gave nine years of his life there. Told him, John, if you never do another thing with your life, you've done more than most people would ever dream, but you will. You will do more. And he evangelized. He took a work in New Mexico. It wasn't clicking just right. He could have just lived on the past. He could have just coasted. But he said, I'm going to buy into this again. Goes to South Africa. I had the privilege of preaching in that church in its formative years. It was one of the most exhilarating revivals I have ever preached as God is. And today, over 200 people. He did it again. Why don't you do it again? There's men here. You could do it again. Why not just do it again? There's, there's missionaries. There's men. You were missionaries. You're couples. You've done this before, and you're back. Okay. But why, why not just do it again? Because we're in the last days. I want to close. Walter took his friend Art for a drive. They drove off the main road through the groves of trees to a large, uninhabited expanse of land. A few horses were grazing, a couple of old shacks Walter stopped the car, got out, and started to describe with great vividness the wonderful things he was going to build. He wanted his friend Art to buy some of the land surrounding his project to get in on the ground floor. Art thought to himself, who in the world is going to drive 25 miles for this crazy project? The, logics, the logistics are staggering, but Walter said, listen, I can handle this main project myself, but it'll take all my money. The land bordering it where we are now standing in just a couple of years will be jammed with hotels and restaurants to accommodate the people that want to come and spend their vacation where I'm going to build. I want you to have the first chance at this because in the next five years it'll increase and hundredfold. Art said, what could I say? I knew he was wrong. I knew he had a dream 
that got the best of his common sense. And I mumbled something about money being tight and promised I would look into it in the future. He said, later will be too late. As they walked to the car, you better do it right now. But Art Linkletter turned down the opportunity to buy up all the land that surrounded what was to become Disneyland. His friend Walt Disney tried to talk him into it. But Art thought he was crazy. I wonder how many people thought Jeremiah was crazy that day. What are you going to do? Because we're in the last lap. And there's opportunities. There's a fire sale in the earth right now. There is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. Amidded all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea we are now afloat and we must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures. What are you going to do with the buyer's market tonight? Let's bow our heads. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.